If your litter box could talk, what would it say to you? Good morning, lovely day, isn't it? Or perhaps, what's up with all the clay dust and chemicals you're laying on me and the cat? If that's the case, consider World's Best Cat Litter. It's virtually dust-free, quick clumping, and lasts twice as long as clay litter. And because it's made from corn, it's chemical-free and a naturally safe choice. World's Best Cat Litter, the number one selling natural litter brand for a reason. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, SimulTV.com, SimulTV.com. What's SimulTV.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean SimulTV.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a SimulTV.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about SimulTV.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show, where we share innovative thoughts and explore deepening truth in the support of the path to unity and enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be looking at innovative management for an evolving world. As we evolve into a more self-actuated, spiritually enlightened place, it's indeed time for childhood's end. Nowhere is this transition more needed than in the workplace. In times past, we've been much like children in relationship to our occupations. Do what you're told, don't think or act outside of the box, and Big Daddy, a.k.a. the corporation, will provide for you. Our energy was spent competing and undermining our brothers and sisters in order to win the biggest prize, largest bonus, or highest position. With the rapid acceleration now evident in our world, we all need to be on deck and in cooperation with, to keep up with the times. The old days of hierarchy and competition need to give way to a more cooperative, innovative structure whereby everyone can bring and blend their unique gifts to achieve a common goal. Yet, how do we get there from here? With us this hour to delve into the topic of evolving workplace is Brian Robinson. Brian is an experienced entrepreneur, organizational pioneer, and author of the book Holacracy, The New Management System for a Rapidly Changing World. He's most well-known for his work in developing Holacracy, a self-management practice for running purpose-driven, responsive companies. 
Its dynamic approach integrates the collective wisdom of individuals throughout an organization and empowers them to drive meaningful change. The result is dramatically increased transparency, accountability, innovation, and agility. His website, holacracy1.com. That's holacracy, O-N-E, dot com. Brian, thanks so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Oh, thanks for having me. So why did you first become interested in management systems? Well, I'm an entrepreneur, and uh, before I started my first company, I worked in uh, an aerospace company that won an award for being the best mid-sized company to work for in America, and I, I really didn't like working there. <laughs> I thought, mm. I've got a problem, right, if I don't like working at the best company to work for in the country. And, you know, the, the reason for that for me was I wanted to be able to bring my full self to the purpose we were serving. I, I wanted to be able to drive meaningful change for that purpose, and I, I kept running into things in the way. Uh, the bureaucracy, the politics, there's just so much that stops us from driving change in, in companies today. And so, you know, I, I I just felt like there has to be a better way. And I, I started my own company just to create a laboratory to experiment. Uh, it seemed like, you know, I didn't know what, what the better way was, but I really wanted to gather a group of people all focused on evolving the way we work together. Uh, and that's what I did, and that's what got me interested. Did you have a background in management before that time? Um, just a little bit. My background at first was a software engineer, and I kind of went into the management ranks through that, and I, I saw how much, uh, even as a manager, I was limited by the systems around me. Um, and then most of my management experience came from uh, being a CEO in my own business and growing it and realizing it's really difficult. Uh, it's really difficult to build a purpose-driven organization that gives everyone a voice and stays kind of focused on a purpose and organized. And um, I just, uh, you know, I experimented. Uh, well, you know, it seems like, in, in particularly in corporations and in the workplace, people bring their family issues from childhood and then project them on, onto the corporation itself. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. And that's what I noticed as a CEO. You you become the target of everyone's uh, father issues, right? Like any, exactly, yeah. Yeah, any projections yeah. right on your, your door. <laughs> so why have you, what have you observed about the old ways of running companies that are really failing us now? Uh, well, so, you know, when I first started my, my own business, I never stepped back to consciously ask, what power structure do I want to use? I, I just assumed the top-down management hierarchy was the only way to do it. And, you know, the more I experimented, the more I kept coming back to, there's something fundamental in the power structure itself here that seems to be creating all the limits that I was I was trying to get around. Um, so I, I think my work then took this turn for how, how else can we how else can we provide the functions of management without the approach we take today, without managers, if you will, without centralizing power in this top-down power hierarchy, which um, I, I kept seeing as just this fundamental underlying limiting structure. It's really hard to drive change when your boss doesn't see it. Uh, it's really hard to drive change when the political incentives in the system kind of tend towards uh, protecting the status quo and keeping everything static. Um, so, so what else? So why why are those why are those old ways failing? I mean, they worked for years. Yeah, they did. You know, and it's actually with appreciation. I, I mean, I've spent a number of years as a CEO and. 
I, I think that approach worked fine with the complexity we faced mid last century. I mean, think of if you were an executive in, in 1950, how many messages did you have to deal with in a day? How much complexity did you have to deal with? How fast was the world changing around you? And compare that to today. The complexity has skyrocketed. The, the interconnection has skyrocketed. The pace of change has skyrocketed. And our approach to organizations has not evolved. We're still organizing in much the same way we did a century ago. And look at how much has changed in the world. So I don't think it's something fundamentally you know, wrong with that approach. I think it served us so well that it helped build a world more complex than it could manage. And that's where so, we are today. So what's going on in the world that's driving this change? You know, I think the internet is a huge part of that. Um, but, you know, even that is an expression, I think, of a, a much bigger evolutionary leap, right? There's a new paradigm here. We we see it in the younger generations. We see it in, in our social media. Uh, the, the world is moving from these, these big centralized top-down control schemes to networked, decentralized. Uh, that's the, the arc of evolution has headed that way and has been heading that way for at least a couple of decades really, really clearly now to me. Um, and I, I think our organizations just haven't really kept up. Well, how about our current educational systems? They're still preparing people to enter the old management system. What oh, change yeah. is needed there? Yeah, there's a new book on that um, I was uh, interviewed uh, around, and it was you know, really interesting pointing out today the value of a university degree is really a signaling of – I can follow the rules and not rock the boat to companies, right? It's not actually building skills that are needed today. And there's a lot of evidence for that. And I think more and more entrepreneurs like myself, I, I generally will privilege somebody that dropped out of college over somebody that completed it when I'm looking to, to bring somebody into my company. Um, it's, it's fascinating how much that system is failing the needs of the world today as well. It's, as yeah. Concerned. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And it's by the time you graduate, you're, the job that you studied for is obsolete, replaced okay. by an algorithm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, the old methods of controlling employees was through a combination of fear of replacement coupled with promise of reward. How can we change that? What, 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 need, what yeah. needs to be changed there? Yeah, so I think more and more we're seeing shifts to uh, what's called self-management now, where companies are replacing the top-down management hierarchy with completely different approaches to breaking up who should do what and how we work together. Um, I work with a method called Holacracy, uh, which is one of those. Uh, it's a framework for organizing a company with no management hierarchy. And you know, the, the key to that, of course, is not just throwing out management hierarchy, it's, it's what do you replace it with. It's not enough to just get rid of structure. You, you need structure, you just need better structure. Um, so we're seeing the emergence in the past couple of decades of these new approaches for organizing in completely different ways. And I find it fascinating how aligned they are with the way the natural world, the way uh, evolution naturally organizes systems. I love the title of this uh, this radio program. Um, it, it's look at the human body. There's trillions of cells working together and there's no CEO cell telling the others what to do and no top-down management hierarchy commanding the cells. It's Every cell has autonomy, and yet they all have their role to play, and they're interconnected into this larger system. You know, your organs don't boss the cells around. They integrate the autonomy of the cells into a larger function. And, you know, and nature finds those structures not by trying to get it right up front or do a big reorg every few years like we do in companies. It gets it by allowing the system to evolve, you know, and I think more and more that's the kind of paradigm we need in our companies. 
So you're talking more about stewardship and less about domination. Yeah, absolutely. And, and more about decentralized control. You know, in my company, there is no, uh, there's no managers, there's no bosses, there's no CEO, but everybody is kind of like the CEO of their role. They, they know the part that they have to lead, you know, and, and they're stewarding their roles and they might have many roles and many parts of the company. And in those roles, they're like the CEO of that role. And we all get to, to do that. Leadership's distributed. Um, and there's a framework for, you know, pulling that all, all together and making sure we can set expectations of each other when we need to. But at the end of the day, you have a completely different paradigm for how you achieve order in the company. Yeah, order would look to me to be the largest challenge because we're all used to being underneath somebody's thumb. <laughs> and when yeah. that changes, it could go into chaos, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's that's the big misconception I think people have about companies that are taking a self-management approach, uh, and especially with Holacracy. The, the big misconception is when you throw out managers, you're throwing out structure. People just envision the current thing we have minus managers. But the, the reality is companies that are running with Holacracy today are more structured, not less than the management hierarchy. They just get to the structure differently. You know, they get there through a process that everyone contributes to instead of resting on just one manager to heroically hold. Um, and the structure is more dynamic. It's more real. It's like the human body is a highly structured system. Well, might not I, look, have... I look forward to going into this structure on the other side of a commercial break, but it is time for a short pause. Brian and I will be back after this break. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jennings, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, 
and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. Remember, past episodes are available on our website, missionevolution.org. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our guest this hour is Brian Robinson. His website, holacracy1.com. Brian, we were just getting into how, you know, uh, when, you, when you change the structure of an organization, how do you maintain order and direction when you have a whole bunch of chiefs and not enough Indians or vice versa? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Let me tell a story that illustrates that. That's uh, a true story from my company's past. We run this way, obviously. Um, and, you know, I fill our spokesperson role. So it's one of about 20 roles I fill, and I do a lot of public speaking. And I have another role I work with uh, called Casting Agent. Casting Agent books me for talks. And we had one case uh, many years ago where our casting agent was getting really frustrated. Uh, she would negotiate with these conferences that were inviting me to speak, spend a lot of time building a relationship and navigating that, and then present me the opportunity. And I'd shoot it down at the end of the day. I'd, I'd say wrong market or not big enough or whatever. And so she felt kind of disempowered and frustrated. So what she did, though... We have a governance process on our team, and anyone filling a role in the team is invited, and every team is doing this. So she went into this governance meeting, and in that meeting, anyone can propose a change to any of the other roles or a new expectation on them. So she proposed a new expectation on me. She said, I want to be able to expect from your spokesperson role that you're publishing the criteria you use to decide if you're going to accept the conference uh, invite or not. Because if I knew that criteria, I could assess myself up front and not waste my time with things that didn't fit. And it, it took about two minutes into that process for that new expectation to get added to my role. And then she could turn to me and say, so when do you think you're going to have that done for me by? Now, the interesting footnote to this story, she was our newest hire right out of college. And I'm the founder of the company and a seasoned CEO. And in what companies do you know where the newest hire right out of college in two minutes can add an expectation onto the founder and then turn to him and say, when will you have that done for me by? Right? And I love that story because it shows there is structure. There's clear expectations that are coming out of this process. We just don't get there by politicking to the manager to get them to define them. 
they come through a, a group process that everyone can contribute to that's based on the work and the purpose we're serving, not the politics and the status and the egos at play. Right. So how how can you make that work without it turning into a you spend more time negotiating everybody's latest, greatest idea than you do uh, accomplishing your common goal? Yeah. So I think one of the keys that Holacracy does is that group process. We never use that to make specific decisions. We only use it to decide who's responsible for making which decisions and what do we expect from them along the way. So. You know, for example, my company does a lot of trainings. We would never in a group meeting decide what city should we launch our next training in. We only use the governance process, the group process, to say what role is going to have the authority and the responsibility for choosing trainings and what do we want to expect from them. And once we clarify that, most decision making is done autocratically. This is another big misconception. People assume when you have no managers, you must have more group decisions and the opposite is true. When you have no managers and you have a process to clarify who makes which decision, you end up with more autocratic decision than in a management hierarchy, not less. It's management hierarchy that tends to make decisions in big group meetings all the time. No wonder we're sensitive to that. Instead, when you just use the group process to clarify, you end up with everyone kind of freed to go lead their piece and make more autocratic decisions. So things move faster, not slower. So do you have any um, productive studies, uh, you know, studies on productivity in relationship to this new approach? Yeah, we're, we're waiting for the first formal academic research. Harvard Business School has done two studies now. We're waiting for the results to be published. Um, we have uh, various anecdotal data collection from different companies that have done it. Um, one of them that I just love uh, was actually done in the Washington state government. There's a couple of governments now doing Holacracy. And one of them, um, they, they measured before and after adopting Holacracy, how many meeting minutes did you need to spend to get a clear decision or a clear action from someone else? Well, that's and after one. six months of Holacracy, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> I think we'd all like that one to go down, right? Mm -hmm. um, after six months of Holacracy, the reduction was over 90%. Uh, it was a 90-some percent reduction in the number of meeting minutes you needed to get a clear action or decision from someone else, which I, I think that's that's pretty remarkable. Um, there's also engagement metrics. They measured a 40% increase in how engaged people felt uh, and whether they felt they had the tools they needed to get their job done. Um, after just six months, that was pretty pretty cool. They actually tried to measure how many meeting minutes does it take you to get to a clear change in policies or the jobs of other people. And they actually found they couldn't measure the percentage improvement there because the answer before Holacracy came back infinite. In other words, it doesn't matter how many meeting minutes we spend, we can talk about things for years and we can fail to enact any change in our policies or our jobs. And after Holacracy, they could do it in about 20 minutes per change to a major policy or somebody else's job. And that's a new capacity. That's not just a efficiency gain. That's that's the system now has the capacity to evolve in a way it didn't before. So it seems like um, one of the things you're empowering people with is um, the ability to have their needs met, to state their needs, because we can overlook other people's needs uh, when they have a role. Just you know, get the job done, but not realizing they don't have the tools to do it with. Yeah, I, I look at it kind of, uh, it's for me, unlocking human consciousness, right? There's so much that is stuck right now. It's one of the founding uh, goals I had for this was how do I create a system where anything sensed by anyone anywhere in the company had some place to go where it could get rapidly and reliably processed into meaningful change? And, 
you know, today I think there's very few organizations that can genuinely say anything you sense you can do something with to drive change, right? You just get stuck. And to me, that's the unlocking humanity part of this, giving people a really deep level of empowered voice to drive real change for a purpose. What what motivates people in the new management system you're talking about? Um, I see a big switch from extrinsic to intrinsic motivation. Um, you know, I, I had a, a friend, um, a friend, an old college buddy. He was he was the the kind of stereotypical frat guy that drunk too much and <laughs> partied a little too hard. And you know, when he he first told me uh, he had just got married and his wife was pregnant, I thought, oh no, poor kid, right? <laughs> Who will motivate this guy to be a good father? <laughs> he was a little bit of a party animal, but you know, he turned into this amazing father and. It, the, the shift, it came from within. You know, he said, no one else is going to take care of these kids if I don't. It depends on me. They depend on me. And he just found this internal motivation that wasn't about any reward that was offered. It wasn't about anything external to him. It was his own sense of, of having real voice in something that mattered. And that's where I, I see companies adopting this shifting to. It's it's not an external carrot and stick motivation system anymore. You just give people real responsibility and something to lead, some burden of leadership. And I'm constantly surprised how many people who may not be seeking that, they step up and they own it. Uh, and, and the motivation comes from within. Are there and some think, people that just can't make that leap? You know, um, I'm sure there are, of course, but I think it's so easy to assume, we see a lot of people today that aren't doing that and assume it's something about them instead of something about the system they're in. I think the systems people are in today beat the motivation out of them. Uh, it makes it really hard. It's, uh, And then the temptation is wait until they're ready. And that's kind of like if you have a teenager at home and you say, I don't want to send them off into the world until they're ready to lead like an autonomous adult. And if you wait for that, they're still living at home when they're 30, you know, and <laughs> Uh, you get ready for that level of autonomy and leadership by being thrust into a world that demands it of you. And I, I think that's true in organizations too. When we see people that look like they're not ready for that, one, I think maybe it's the system that's limiting them. And two, if you thrust them into that level of responsibility and leadership, I think a surprising number of them will step up and rise to the occasion, just like my old college frat buddy, right? Um so how, how can parents start to prepare their kids for this new paradigm? Because the you know the hierarchy starts at home. Yeah, I mean we we grow up in these structures and we go to schools in these structures. I think the more parents can take a take an approach that honors the sovereignty of their children, honors their own autonomy, and tries to support them in their own learning journey instead of kind of top down directing uh, how they should grow and develop. Um, I mean, it's not that they're preparing them. It's it's almost like they're providing the environment where their life conditions, the child's life conditions can prepare them. The ultimate truth is there's nothing you can do directly as a parent. What you can do is create an environment where your child can learn and grow on their own because that comes from within, not from the parents. Yeah, we've seen, you know, like the uh, Montessori schools really preparing children yeah. better for this kind of an approach than the standard ones. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how much of that work then falls to you because everybody's been conditioned in the other way. How much of that falls to you when you're trying to bring this way forward? Yeah, we end up doing a lot of work uh, and some pretty deep level psychological change and support. I, I had one woman uh, that worked at Zappos when they adopted Holacracy. Uh, she came up to me and said, after six months of practicing Holacracy, I finally learned what my psychotherapist has been trying to teach me for years. 
Um, and it was about this, like taking complete responsibility for your life uh, and not being codependent with others and, and people you work with. And, you know, I, I, that's pretty remarkable when the workplace can serve as a developmental vehicle for people's evolution of consciousness. I, I mean, that is really magic to me. Um, and so I don't begrudge that work. I, I embrace it. I love being able to have that impact and do that work for people. Do you try to have um, uh, psych psychological people on staff to help with the process? A lot of the Holacracy coaches in the world, we have a bunch of my company, and there's a whole network of them all over the world now. Um, it's it's really interesting, the, the nature of that work. It is as much supporting people through kind of deep interior change as it is just teaching them the rules of a new process, right? It's, right, right. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to take another, another pause here, but Brian and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this commercial break. So you folks stay right there. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, Simultv.com, Simultv.com. What's Simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. SIMULTV.com. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is, for more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest tools and information to support the path to enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka, and our guest this hour is Brian Robertson. His website, holyocracy1.com. That's holyocracy, O-N-E, dot com. 
Brian, we were talking about, um, you know, motivating people and, and how can we help people shift from competition to cooperation in this system? Yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny. I see so many approaches to change of that, like that focused on the people. And I think it's much more powerful to look at changing the system. Right? It's the system that gives us incentives for cooperating or competing. It's the system that gives us that leads to the kind of silos we see today. The, the system incentivizes it. So yes, you can change people, but then they're working against the system. And I hear this from I have many colleagues who are leadership development coaches, and I hear from many of them a frustration where even when they do their work really well and they help some leader have an internal shift, that leader then goes back into the same company with the same structure, systems, processes, incentives. And even if they succeed in keeping their, their new awareness and development, they're working against the system. And many of them get so frustrated, they eventually drop out of the system and become leadership development coaches, <laughs> ironically, right? And so, I mean, that's powerful work for them. But I think if we want to change society at large, we need to change our systems, not just our people. Um, and that's that's what my work is really about. How do we create systems in which we naturally work together, we naturally cooperate? Well, you know, it seems everything is happening so fast. How can we hope to shift this fast enough for the old structures to meet our present needs, much less that of the future? Yeah. Well, you know, that's one that, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> it's a challenging thing. I mean, the, the kind of change I see when companies are adopting holacracy, it's a massive disruptive change. Um, it takes a long time and there's huge shifts that have to happen uh, to make it work. And it, it's certainly practical. There's uh, over a thousand companies now that have done this, uh, but it's a huge undertaking. And we're constantly trying to figure out how do we make that shift easier for people. And I mean, we've come up with some ideas, but uh, this is, I mean, the leading edge of this work for me is how do we make this easier to create these massive systemic shifts. But, you know, aren't you creating critical mass in so doing? Suddenly start having models out yeah. there. Won't that ease it up, don't you suppose? Oh, I think so. I mean, yeah. I remember how hard the first, you know, five were versus, you know, number 100 or number 1,000. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it does mm -hmm. get easier. There's, there's more wisdom. There's more. We just did our annual conference and there's 150 people there, all in companies running this way, all different companies learning from each other. And that all makes right. it easier. Yeah. You know? So, you know, it used to be when companies needed to change to keep up with the times, the preferred method was gleaning the herd, right, through layoffs yeah. and then hiring new blood. Yeah. Uh, what's the alternative to that that you, you engage in? It's, again, changing the system. It's, you know, what is the fundamental framework of how power works here and how expectations are set and how we manage the work? I think when you start changing that to get more effective, right, it, it, it's... Um, I, I, it, there, there's such a, a short-sightedness to me when you just jump to, you know, changing people. Um, I think so much of our behavior is is coming from the system we're in. And I, I felt that. I'm sure probably many of your listeners have too, where you enter a new job or a new system. And like, it's kind of like the system teaches you how to behave in this. And it's it's not always the way you ideally want to behave. It's There's sometimes a conflict between how I want to show up and how I feel like I have to in this environment. So to me, the answer is change the environment, you know, not change the people. Well, the old system of, again, the hierarchy, um, doesn't that trigger a lot of our issues from childhood? And if we don't have that system, um, maybe it leaves room for some new experience. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I mean, I, I see that. I see people going through 
I, I mean, these these internal shifts of like trying to make sense of the world. It's it's almost like I mean, imagine you're a manager, you've climbed the ranks, you've you've you're getting your self esteem needs met because of where you are in the status hierarchy, and then when you remove that, it forces people to kind of reorient and say, how can I feel good about myself if I can't just tie it to where I am in the hierarchy and and that actually triggers some really positive shifts. It, it gets them out of that mode of thinking in that more authoritarian system. And you have to define your self-worth by the value you create for others, right? Or by being an entrepreneur, not a manager, by you know supporting and serving a purpose that matters. And I think these are much more powerful places to get those needs met anyway. So. But for generations, um, we have found our self-worth in our occupations and, and climbing up the ladder. Um, does that just go away easily or is that a real battle? Oh, it's it's definitely a struggle. And I watch people going through it. There was one woman, um, one company I worked with, she was an HR director and she had worked a lot of her career to climb to that level. And she said, she was really frustrated one day. She said, uh, you know, my career ambition has been to be a VP of HR and now there's no more hierarchy here. And, you know, what do I do instead? And my answer was, you know, tune in, in internally, what are you passionate about? And what's the company's purpose? And where's the intersection? What do you really like want to do to be creative, to be entrepreneurial? And, and she said something really clicked for her. Um, I gave an example, like, you know, maybe, maybe you love photography, or maybe there's a photographer role you can fill or some other creative outlet here. And she realized this was uh, liberating her from the drudgery of management, from just coordinating others, to being able to like really go out and find new ways to add value that tapped her creativity and her passion. And and she recognized the struggle and she said she had days where she'd go back and forth. Some days she loved the new approach. Some days she hated it because she just wanted the security of hierarchy. And yet, you know, it, it's overall those days shifted. It got more and more days where she loved it and less and less where she was scared until she's a new person on the other side of it. And she talked about that journey very publicly and it's really similar to what I see in a lot of people. The um, it sounds like trying to move into uh, a person's purpose, a person's natural gifts, and expressing those in the workplace um, to achieve a common goal. How do you see that working? I mean, uh, is it kind of organic eventually? Because everyone's different. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it, it's holacracy tends to create a real focus on the purpose of the company. And then invite everyone else to find their relationship to that purpose. And that doesn't mean they have to have the same purpose. I, I think we all have our own. I, I capture my own purpose as I show people a radical new way to organize power. And that's different than my company's purpose, but they're connected. They're, it makes sense that I am in this company because I get to do my purpose in my work in this company. And I serve the company's purpose by doing it too. And I love that you know companies running this way, purpose becomes something we talk about, something we see, we think about. Uh, it encourages people to naturally tune into, you know, why am I here? Why am I on the planet? What's right for me? What do I want to express in my life through me? And and the company models that too by having a clear purpose and aligning everything with it. So, you know, I think so you, that's you must awesome. put a lot of you must put a lot of work into um, a company's purpose up front. Um, do you have to kind of really rethink that? Um, yeah, the interesting thing is it works better to let it evolve over time. It's kind of like, you know, when, when a company's new to that, I, trying to sit down and get their purpose perfect up front would be like sitting your five-year-old down and saying, let's figure out your purpose in life, right? Let's do a big process and analyze it. And when really what they need to do is go live a little with some rough idea of what they like, what feels right. 
and then get more data, but constantly reflect. So to me, discovering purpose isn't an upfront process. It's only upfront to get some initial vague directionality. And then from there, just keep being conscious and mindful, keep revisiting it and clarifying it because it's, it's life that will tell you your purpose. It's not an upfront design process. So if you're too rigid in purpose, you lose your flexibility and therefore can't change with the times. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Let's, let's revisit organization of power. What is that exactly? Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I think it's easiest to see if we look in the management hierarchy, we centralize power with a person at the top of a hierarchy, and then they break it down from there. And uh, what I think a lot of organizations are doing now is actually questioning that. And what Holacracy does is invite you to take a different approach. It's Holacracy gives you a constitution. Uh, it's it's uh, the difference. You can think of it instead of a king who is above the law, having ultimate authority. It's a constitutional approach to organization where ultimate power lies not in a person at the top of a hierarchy, but in a process. And that process is codified in a constitution that invites everybody to show up and defines how we're going to divide out power, how we're going to decide who makes which decisions and who has what authority. And that constitution defines the governance process I mentioned. Um, and so, right, right. And it, you know, yeah. As I'm listening to you, it sounds to me like you're taking on something pretty large, as in the entire yeah. um, pyramidal structure of our society. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, it's through organizations first, but I'm excited about what happens when people experience new ways of organizing power in their companies, when, when work becomes a practice ground for owning our own power. And instead of looking for those up the hierarchy to solve things for us and take care of us as if we're children... What happens when then those people who get that practice go out in society and stop paying attention to the political leaders or whoever wants us to trust them? And and instead of looking to them to save us and solve things for us, we just start going and building the world we want, right? We take our own power and our own autonomy in our own hands and we start going and creating the world we want directly. That's the world I want to live in. It's pretty ambitious. <laughs> that's that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's safety in in that hierarchy. Um, yeah. We don't have to take responsibility for our own actions and the results thereof. Yeah. How are we going to get people to shift out of that? Um, you know, to some degree, it's uh, kind of like that teenager leaving home, right? At some point, you just need to kind of kick them out. Um, <laughs> at some point, you remove the safety net to some degree. I mean, there, there's you still need safety. Safety is still important. But instead of getting the safety through a parent-like providing for and caretaking, instead, uh, look what I think a healthy parent does. The support comes through uh, – the safety comes through support, through – you know, if, if you want somebody that you know has got your back, um, cherishes you, you've got that. And I think the companies I see do this, do that through the team and through the people. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll talk about teamwork on the other side of a, a commercial break. Brian and I will be back shortly, so don't you dare go away. You're listening to the Mission Evolution Radio Show on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. You're a skeptic or a believer. Join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. 
Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like x-zone sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Welcome back. This is the Mission Evolution Radio Show, www.missionevolution.org, bringing the latest developments in an evolving world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. I always love suggestions from my listeners. You can email me at info at missionevolution.org to propose a topic or a guest that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our special guest this hour is Brian Robinson. His website, holacracy1.com. That's holacracy, O-N-E, Com. Brian, there's another thing that comes to my mind is that our pay scale has been heretofore based on our uh, hierarchy. So how does that change when you're implementing this kind of a, a structure? Yeah, so the, the basic system of holacracy actually doesn't tell you how you should pay people. 
Um, it doesn't tell you, in fact, how to do any major business process, uh, hiring, firing, budgeting, whatever. What it does is give you a framework so that all of those can evolve based on what people are actually running into. So I can turn the question around. You know, have, have you ever run into some tension about the way your company pays people or hires or fires or budgets or whatever? And if so, do you have a clear pathway to help the company learn from whatever your tension is so it can evolve those systems rapidly? And the answer in most companies is no, right? So Holacracy doesn't try to give you perfect answers to these questions. It tries to give you the evolutionary process. So each company evolves their own unique way to compensate and they have to get pretty creative because they don't have a top-down management hierarchy, right? But when you put that constraint in, I find companies getting really creative and finding better ways to do it, you know? So for example, um, in my own company, we have a way of firing people that I think is actually beautiful. I, I, I love the way we fire people. And I don't know many companies that can say they love the way they fire people, but ours is so human and so respectful. We've fired people and had them become our customers um, or stay close friends with the people that did it. And the reason we did that wasn't because Holacracy gave us the perfect answer for how to fire people. It was because five years ago, we fired someone and it felt really bad. And then we looked at it and we said, why did that feel bad? And what can we do to make it better? And it gave us the process to evolve it and make it a little less bad and then a little less bad and then a little better and a little better. And after a few years of experimenting and evolving the process, we had this beautiful process that's perfect for our culture and our environment. And so what's, what uh, are usually the things that perpetrate a firing of a person? What? What, what have you seen that's different from the old uh, hierarchy way of doing uh, things? It's less usually about one specific job or role. So uh, companies running with Holacracy, people tend to have these almost very customized uh, jobs where they might have roles in multiple teams and multiple parts of the company. You know, like one guy I talked to at Zappos, he was originally hired to do party planning and his his role was named Fungineer. <laughs> and, but he loved, had a passion for marketing and before adopting Holacracy, he couldn't possibly work in marketing because he was in a totally different department. But after Holacracy, he was able to custom craft. He, he got a few roles in marketing, a few roles in the party planning, and he got some roles in a facilities thing that he really wanted to do. And so he's got roles in three completely different teams and departments. Um, and his job is kind of this custom crafted blend. So now if he's not a great fit for one of those, it's not a matter of kicking him out of the organization. It's a matter of you know, uh, letting him focus on the others more or find something else that he's passionate about that he can add value in. So firing is more something that happens uh, from like an overall, is the person somehow adding some kind of dysfunctional dynamic in the culture or are there literally no roles that they can add any skills in here? Um, and it's not, you don't have a manager. So they're typically, the process isn't, isn't just resting on one person. It's some kind of transparent process. And again, every company will define their own, but in, in my company, there's like six people involved in that. And there's a really transparent process they go through that involves the person in question and lets them have a voice in the process and tries to search for, is there a fit here? Uh, you know, it's, it's really respectful. It's human. Uh, it treats them like a, a person and a, a partner in it. Um, we, we, you started in on this a little bit, but uh, would you go into what you speak of as dynamic roles? What are those and how do they serve here? 
Yeah, well, in, in most companies, you know, when was the last time you went and looked up something in your job description, right? Like, they're, they're, the documents are out of date by the time they're off the printer. They don't mean much. No one uses them. With Holacracy, there's, uh, instead, work is broken up in roles. And roles are small. They're one function. So I feel like 20 roles in my company, 20-some. Um, and the roles are changing, and they're changing by the result of the team learning together. So people actually do go and look up things in them regularly because they're real meaningful clarity. Every team is in this regular governance process where it's learning, how do we work together more effectively? And the result of that is captured in these roles. And so they're changing all the time. It's like my story earlier with you know, my colleague who proposed a new expectation on my role, and that gets captured in the role. So it's dynamic, it's living, breathing structure. Um, and that makes it so much more meaningful than our job descriptions today. Well, doesn't it also depersonalize it in that um, it's a role, it's not who you are. And so you could be mobile within that without losing your position. Yeah, I talk about uh, separating role and soul, right? It helps people make this differentiation and realize there's you and you have your own wants and needs and desires and those are beautiful. And there's your role and your role has a purpose and it has expectations. And these are two totally different things. And then we put them together, which is great. You are consciously stewarding your role. But there's a constant reminder of the difference. It's it's like being a parent. You don't use your kids as your property. They're not extensions of you, right? You are their steward for a while, but you're doing it for them, not for you. And Holacracy brings the same kind of focus. It invites all of us not to parent each other like the management hierarchy does, but instead to be co-parents of our roles. And we're there as their stewards. We're there to serve these roles for a while and to take care of ourselves and get our own needs met in the process because healthy parents need need to have that, right? I, I love that differentiation. Yeah, it's it's it looks like it'd be really um how do we want to say? Uh, a, a lot it just gives the person a lot more freedom because they aren't having to force themselves to be a something. They are finding the something that fits themselves. Yeah, it's I mean I, I find it fascinating in today's world. How many times do you hear the question like, you know, what are you or what do you do? And it's, you know, these questions, we define ourselves in terms of our jobs, and I'd love to see that shift. Let's define ourselves in terms of our passions, in terms of, you know, what's really important to us, in terms of our purpose. Um, And, you know, let's recognize we fill many roles in life, not just in the workplace. And let's hold those not as something we define ourselves through, not as a sense of self-identity, but as something we wear for a while, a hat we put on, you know, we, we steward them, but from a much deeper level of identity. So it seems to me like that would really, well, there's some people that don't, aren't comfortable with that. Some people yeah. give me a role to play and I'll do it and I'll plod along till retirement. Mm-hmm. But there's more and more, I think, people coming on deck right now, because our times are so dynamic, is breeding dynamic people. And don't yeah. dynamic people get very bored and very stagnant in the old system? Oh, yeah. When was the last time you heard a millennial say, you know, I just want a stable job with a stable paycheck to provide for my family, right? <laughs> no, they want purpose and meaning and autonomy. And, you know, and I think that's great. We see more and more of that, especially in the younger generations um, and even the older generations. We see more and more of that shift happening, uh, which I think is a profoundly positive thing for the world. Well, we spend so much time at our jobs. We spend more time at our jobs than we do with our spouse if you don't count sleeping next to each other. Yeah, we sure do. You know, so it it really needs to be more rewarding than uh, a dead-end sentence, really. Yeah, and and that to me is why I'm so excited about the business world. And I mean, my interest is in in societal transformation and 
And yet I think the business world is is absolutely fundamentally key leverage for that. It's it's where we get people spending most of their time and energy, and it's where we can start shifting people's experience and opening their eyes to new ways of being. So what's your vision for the future of business? Um, I'd love to see more purpose-driven business, more conscious business, business that's more conscious of its impact in the world, of its impact on people within, uh, business that's organizing everything around its purpose. Um, you know, ones that look at and understand profit is like blood. Yeah, sure, you need it to live, but it's not the meaning of life, right? It's not the purpose here. Um, and, you know, if, if you focus on purpose and you focus on building a healthy vehicle to express a purpose in the world, conscious of your impacts, you end up with really healthy places to work that really serve the world. Um, that's world what I service want. I think is a huge is one part of it, of isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, because, you know, before it was what makes money and then try to manipulate people into buying it, whether they want it or not, to make money. And that is just about lived its shelf life, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it absolutely has. And we're seeing that shift. More and more businesses are shifting in that way. And they get more and more business because of it. I mean, trust yes. has been eroded, I would say, over the last 50 years uh, around business and corporations. Yes. Yes. A colleague of mine did a study and looked at uh, how much investment return would you get if you had invested in purpose-driven businesses over the top businesses currently at the top of the stock market. And the returns were dramatically different, uh, way better if you had invested in the purpose business purpose-driven businesses, and those businesses did better for their customers, their employees, and the world, right? It's not an or. It's not profit or these things. It's when you really organize everything around the purpose, everything gets better around it. Falls into place. And if your purpose has no um, draw, then you need to shift your purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And there's more and more movements, uh, like conscious capitalism movement, recognizing this now and trying to find more conscious approaches to doing business. And that's really exciting. That is exciting. Well, you know, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I can't thank you enough for being on the show and for your wonderful work in the world, Brian. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Our guest this hour has been author of Holacracy, the new management system for a rapidly changing world, Brian Robinson. His website, holacracy1.com. That's holacracy, O-N-E, dot com. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at missionevolution.org. This has been Mission Evolution Radio Show with yours truly, Wilda Wiecka, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues to bring information, resources, and support to our evolving world. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. 
Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365.